You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon text today comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, your mountains and enduring foundations of the earth. Because the Lord has a cause against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you, or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed, what Balaam's son of Beor answered him, and what happened from the Kesha Grove at, to Gilgal so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before the God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Um, it's a pleasure to have a chance to be up here to preach again. Um, as you heard, we'll be in the book of Micah today. And of course, if you don't know me, my name is Micah. Um, so I guess some people felt that it was too good of an opportunity to, to give up for me to preach on Micah. Um, and to be honest, it caused me to kind of reflect uh, on my, my name uh, as I was preparing for this sermon. And, uh, you know, for those of you who know, know uh, our kids, which most likely all of you do because they're always running around here. Uh, but, uh, you know, our family is a big family on nicknames. Um, one of the key criteria when my wife and I were picking out our kids' names was that it had to be very nicknameable, right? It had to have a good nickname that went with it. And all three of our girls pretty much go exclusively by their nicknames. And, uh, you know, growing up having the name Micah, uh, it's not really a very nicknameable name. And uh, when I was younger, I'm, I'm the youngest of four in my family. And uh, so I kind of ran around with all my siblings. And when I was younger, everyone called me Buds because um, I was just everybody's kind of Bud, you know, the kid uh, that, that everybody thought was, oh, he's so cool. And, uh, but as I got older and went into middle school, you know, I didn't want to be called Buds anymore. Like that's a, a little kid nickname. So I had to try to come up with a new nickname for myself. Because as I got into sports, uh, we would get, you know, sweatshirts each year for our sports team, and all my friends were putting their nicknames on the back, you know, and I didn't have one. So in seventh grade, after a horrifying and embarrassing year of uh, trying out the nickname Hot Wheels, uh, I finally, in eighth grade, got to the nickname of Hakeem. Because my name, which is unlike other Micahs in this church who shall remain nameless, is spelled the correct way with an H at the end. And if you spell Micah backwards, you can pronounce it Hakim. So 
I kind of went with Hakeem for a little while. And uh, those of you who know me now, I'm not called Hakeem. So obviously it didn't stick very well. Uh, and I'm just stuck with Micah. And now my nickname is just Daddy, um, which is fine. I love it. Um, but it, it made me think about this. And um, the really, I don't have any new tricks up my sleeve. So my nickname was Hakeem. And as I came to the book of Micah, I thought, what if we read the book of Micah backwards? Just like my name was reversed. Let's reverse the book of Micah and look at it backwards. Because reading backwards can give us a different perspective, right? My wife and I are watching a, a TV show right now that's a murder mystery. And I have already watched it. And now I'm watching it again with her. And having already watched it and knowing where it goes, watching it again, it brings a new perspective. I start to notice details that I didn't notice the first time or foreshadowing that they put in there that you don't really get until you know the whole story. And we were talking in our growth group the other night about how as we're going through the minor prophets, so many of them have kind of the same rhythm to them, right? It's judgment, 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 mercy. Judgment, 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 mercy. Right, and, and it was kind of this question of like, you know, we're doing this 12 weeks in a row. Like, are we going to get bored of this? Like, we, you know, this is the same thing over and over. So I figured, let's read this backwards and see maybe a new perspective, a fresh take on the book of Micah can get us out of the cycle. So I'm going to start right at the end, uh, but we're going to use Micah 6, what we just read, as kind of our, our guide, because I think Micah 6 is actually giving us the entire book of Micah in reverse. So if you want to go ahead and, you know, open your Bibles, find your way to Micah 6, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But I'm going to hop around and kind of go from, from uh, back to front um, looking at this. And we're going to ask four questions um, as we go in reverse of Micah. The first question is, who is God? And at the very end of Micah, the last three verses of the entire book, Micah 7, verses 18 and through 20, this is what we find. It says, Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyal, loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our fathers from days long ago. Who is God? This is God. This is what we just sang, right? Faithful forever, perfect in love. This is who God is. I love this verse in the message uh, translation where he says, mercy is God's specialty. It's beautiful. In the summertime, our family loves to go to the pool. And this made me think that if God was a pool, his anger would be the shallow end. No diving allowed. But his mercy would be the deep end. And the deeper we wade into God, the more mercy we find. And you notice here that it's precisely God's mercy that distinguishes him from other gods. He says, who is a God like you? Forgiving iniquity, passing over rebellion. His mercy, his compassion, his kindness is what makes him God. Now, today the Jewish people still have a, pra a practice during their New Year celebration called Tashlik. 
And in this practice, what they do, based off of this verse, is they take old bread, and they crumble it up into little bits, and they go out and they find water, and they cast it into the water. Where it says here, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What a beautiful image. And our sins are like crumbled up bits of bread being cast into the depths of the sea. This is who God is. Now, in, in Micah 6, this is where Micah starts as well. And I want to set the stage for us a little bit in Micah 6, since we'll be, we'll be spending our time here. As we read, God is kind of creating a courtroom scene for his people. And he calls his people together and says, I have this against you. And he calls his witnesses, the mountains and the foundations of the earth are to be his witnesses. But he starts out in, in verses four and five, and he says, I brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam ahead of you. Remember all that I did. God is reminding the people of who he is. He redeemed them from slavery. He gave them good leaders, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And he prophesied blessings over them says, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. The king called a prophet and said, prophesy curses over Israel. And every time he opened his mouth, blessings came out. Because God is a good prophet over his people. And he led them to the promised land. When it says, remember what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal. The Acacia Grove was on one side of the Jordan. Gilgal was on the other side of the Jordan. The priests carried God in the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. The water separated and they, were, they, they entered into the Promised Land. Despite all the sin that they committed in the wilderness, God was faithful to lead them into the Promised Land. So start, when we start with this point, whatever we read from here on out, we have to filter it through this lens, that God loves mercy, that he shows compassion, that he is faithful to his people. So that's who God is. But what does God want? What's his plan for, all, for, for everything? And Micah gives us this as well. If we go backwards to chapter 4, God gives us this beautiful vision of the future. In verse 1 it says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills. People will stream to it, and many nations will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways, so we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among many peoples and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. But each person will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree, with no one to frighten him, for the mouth of the Lord of armies has spoken. What a beautiful and poignant vision, especially in light of, as Chad shared, the news yesterday coming out of Israel. War and violence is a horrible affront to the vision of God, to his plan 
for the peoples. God's judgments are meant to produce peace and prosperity for all of creation. And he says it here that the purpose is that so that they may walk in his paths. The vision of God is that we are ones who will walk in the paths of God. And what is that path? Micah, in chapter 6, he lays it out for us in that famous verse you've no doubt heard before. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, to walk humbly with your God. Now, I do want to press us a bit here because many of you probably have come from a tradition like I have where we have, we've not really sat with what this verse is saying. It's saying, this is what God requires of you. And we've heard this verse sometimes as like an encouraging verse. But remember the setting here. This is an indictment against his people. God is calling them together and saying, I have this against you. And I think if we read the verse in terms of his context, that when it says mankind, he has told you what is good, this obviously it's not God talking. It's not Micah talking. I think this is the mountains and the foundations of the earth who are saying, even we have seen what God has told you to do. You're not doing it. God is indicting his people for not living this way. And this, this verse is a clear callback to Deuteronomy in chapter 10, when God renews the covenant with Israel after their sin with the golden calf. This is what he says. He says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe all that he has commanded you. Then he says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods, is Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Do you see this? God is calling us to be like himself. The early church fathers, they picked up on this language where in the scriptures it talks of him being the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And he's saying that this is what God is, is wanting us to be. He is the capital L Lord of us lowercase l lords. He is the capital K king of us lowercase k kings. God is wanting us to be like himself. God does not just want to declare us righteous. He actually wants us to be righteous. But notice that this is not a conditional relationship. It is not a, if you do this, then you will be this. And it's not even, because I have done this, therefore you will be this. Rather, it is just as you also. It's not cause and effect. It's invitation and participation in the life of God. It's grace. B 
be holy as I am holy. There's no conditions there. It's just God wanting to share his life with you. Grace. And his life is one that is full of justice, full of mercy, and full of humility. These are the three things. We could preach a whole sermon on this one verse, but just a few notes on acting justly, justly, loving faithfulness, and walking humbly with God. Notice that justice and mercy are not at odds with one another. In our translation here, it, it translates to love faithfulness, but that word faithfulness is the same word that we read about God in chapter 7 of mercy, of loving kindness. These things are not at odds with one another. And justice, sometimes in our understanding, we think that justice, will say, is getting what you deserve. But that's not the justice that he is talking about here. The justice he's talking about is that we treat each person regardless of what we think they deserve. Remember in Deuteronomy, it says that God shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. That's what justice is. And notice that our relationship to these things are different. We are to do justice or act justly, but we are to love mercy. I think in our context, it's often the reverse. We love justice, sweet justice. But if you love justice, you will not do mercy. You will only do justice when you love mercy. Remember, it's God who delights in mercy. In uh, a commentary on the book of Proverbs, an Old Testament scholar, Bruce Waltke, he says, he says this about summing up the entire teaching of the book of Proverbs. He says, the righteous are the ones who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to the advantage of themselves. That's what loving mercy is and doing justice is. And finally, walking humbly with God. Notice that we are walking humbly with God. Walking is ordinary. It's every day in everything that we do. It's not extreme and extraordinary acts of justice and righteousness and mercy. It's in, in every moment in our walking, in our living, we are to be doing this, and we are to do it humbly. The word can also be carefully, walk carefully before God. That we are, we are walking as he walked, in his paths. So that's who God is. That's what God wants. But why is it not the way that God wants it to be? And this really is, is the book of Micah. <laughs> when you read through it, it's an explanation of why it's not the way that God wants it to be. There's a good summary of this in, in chapter 3, where Micah writes this. He says, Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert everything that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice, 
Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. Her priests teach for a payment. Her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. You see, the book of Micah is primary, primarily God taking issue with the leaders, with the priests, with the prophets, who are not leading as God has led them. They are taking bribes. They are doing it for payment. They don't believe that that this is what God wants. They don't believe that this is who God is. They, They lean on the Lord. They say he will protect us, but they've been deceived. They are believing a lie that if they just simply call out to God, God will deliver them. If I do this, God will do this for me. Not that God has shared his life with us that we may walk in his ways. And in the end, it's not just the leaders who've been deceived, but we all have been deceived. Back in Micah 6, he writes this. What should I bring before the Lord when I come and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves, Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? You see, we, we have all been deceived into this. This is a lie that we've all brought into, that God doesn't really love us, but we must offer more and more and more and more to keep him happy with us. Now, there are many different forms and nuances to this lie, but I think at the heart of it is that we don't believe that God is actually who he says he is. We don't believe that God is actually merciful. We don't believe that God intends good for us. We are stuck in a if-then relationship or a because-therefore relationship with God. But what this does is it makes God into a force of nature and not a personal God. Now, think of this in terms of example of with parents with their children. And maybe you have been on the good end of this or the bad end of this. If your parents are always saying, man, if I I pay for this thing, you better do it. Or if I sacrifice for you, you better love me when you get older. <laughs> what, what kind of relationship with that is that? Or even because I have done all these things for you, therefore you must do this for me. That's not, that's not what parents want for their children. They want their children to grow up to be fully flourishing human beings. We give our lives as parents to our kids We say, as I am giving this to you, therefore you do this. Just as you also. I'm teaching you how to be a good person so that you grow up to be a good person. There's not conditions there. It makes it into a God can be manipulated. He is mechanical. He is required to do certain things if we do them for him. But Micah shows us clearly that living under this lie leads to all types of wickedness. We end up believing in a different version 
of what is good and we snatch at it. We become prophets who are susceptible to bribes. We do things for our own gain because God's really not going to give us what is good. We got to get it for ourselves. And then, you know, when we need God, we'll go back to him and we'll, we'll sacrifice something extraordinary so that he'll be pleased with us. But God's plan for peace and prosperity, it cannot be fulfilled until we are broken out of the deception of this lie, until we come to realize that the lie is a lie. So how is God going to get what he wants? He is good. He is merciful. He wants to have a world in which we all are good and merciful, where peace and prosperity for everyone happens. But we've all been deceived. We've all bought into this lie that God is really not good, that we've got to make goodness happen for ourselves. So how is God going to get what he wants? I think when we read through the prophets, this is one way of trying to understand all of the judgment. We, we talked about this, that the prophets are just judgment, 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 mercy, judgment, 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 mercy. And it's interesting that that's the cycle, that there's always mercy at the end of judgment. That God, I think, is being a teacher. He's breaking the power of the lie in our lives. And I think there's four ways that God takes us through this. And I love, I think it's up there, the old word, pedagogy. The art of teaching. This is God's pedagogy. This is God's system, his economy. First, he shows us, right? We read this in, in, in Micah 6 where he says, remember how I redeemed you from slavery, how I led you to the promised land, how I spoke blessings over you. God is, is gracious in that he is showing us what is good. He has told us. Most of the gods in the ancient context, they didn't tell you what they wanted. You had to guess. That's why you sacrificed extreme things because you're just trying to make the God happy. But our God has told us what is good. He hasn't left us in the dark. He showed us. He has, he has walked the paths before us that we may walk in them. But that doesn't always work, you know? Just because you've heard something doesn't mean that you've believed it or that you'll do it. So, not only does he show us, but he warns us. This is the judgment, right? These are all the passages of judgment. God is warning us of what will happen should we continue to believe the lie. And sometimes this works. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah actually refers to Micah. He, says, he, he comes before the king and he says, hey, remember when Micah said this? And he gives a quote from Micah's prophecy. And he said, did the king not listen to God and God rel relented from his disaster? Or we read this in, in uh, Jonah last week, right? Jonah goes and preaches and God relented. 
It's not that God suddenly changed his mind. It's that his pedagogy was effective. It worked. He warned us to stop believing the lie. And if we listen, it's worked. His warnings are a bless, are merciful to us. But as we know, that there are times where even the warnings don't work and we still believe the lie. And therefore God breaks us. In Micah 6, after uh, verse 8, he goes on and he says, As a result of all of your sins, I have begun to strike you severely, bringing desolation because of your sins. You will eat and not be satisfied, for there will be hunger within you. And you will acquire, what you acquire you cannot save, and what you do save I will give to the sword. You will sow and not reap. You will press olives, but not anoint yourself with oil. You will tread grapes, but not drink the wine. You see, God needs to empty the lie of its power. We need to know that what we are doing is not going to bear fruit. We, are, we need to know that all of our work, we're not going to get, you know, we're, we're going to tread on the grapes, but no wine's going to come out because what we are doing is living a lie. He needs to break us of that power. In The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf the wizard has this great quote where he says, it is the burned hand that teaches best. After that, advice about fire goes to the heart. Sometimes we need to be put to the fire so that we can be broken of its temptation. God needs to show us that our lie is empty. The lie that we're living is empty. He needs to, to break it from us. But that's not the end of his pedagogy. He also heals us. In Micah 4, verse 10, God says this. He says, you will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the grasp of your enemies. Babylon is where God is going to send his people because of their sins. That is the exile. That is the breaking of their sins. But he's sending them precisely because that is where he will rescue them. God is creating space that we might draw near to him. In chapter 7, Micah also says this. He says, Because I have sinned against him, I must endure the Lord's rage until he champions my cause and establishes justice for me. He will bring me into the light. I will see his salvation. Sometimes we must endure the Lord's fury and rage until he champions our cause because of our sin. This is a huge theme of the Minor Prophets. Uh, Jonah, that we went through last week, is a perfect illustration of this. Because of Jonah's sin, God sent the storm that threw him into the ocean. He threw him into the ocean. And Jonah is saying, I was at the bottom, wrapped in seaweed. I was dead. 
But God swallowed him up. He swallowed him up into the fish, not to be consumed, but to be spit back out. God's judgment on Jonah was pedagogy. It was teaching him that you have held on to a lie, Jonah, and you need to be broken of it, that, that I am actually merciful, and not just merciful to you, but I am merciful to everyone. And if it takes being thrown to the bottom of the sea to learn that, God will do that. But he doesn't throw us to the bottom of the sea just to kill us. In Hosea, God says these, the people say these words, Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, he will bind up our wounds. He will raise us up so that we can live in his presence. See, the lie is so deep in us that in order for God to destroy it, it wounds us. It, it kills us. But God can heal and God can raise the dead. In this all, we have to see Jesus clearly. Do we not? Micah has some of the most beautiful prophecies about Jesus. In chapter 2, he says this, Indeed, I will gather all of you, Jacob. I will collect the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in the middle of its pasture. It will be noisy with people. One who breaks open the way will advance before them. He will break out and pass through the city gate and leave by it. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord as their leader. You see, Jesus has broke open the way. He fulfilled God's plan for humanity. He lived the Micah 6-8 life. He walked humbly with God, so humbly that he humbled himself to death. And his death was truly just. Because he didn't die just for the rulers or the rich or the righteous, but he died for everyone. And God raised him up from the grave to show us beyond a shadow of a doubt that mercy is his specialty. That our sins have been trampled in the dust and cast to the bottom of the sea. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus has broke open the way. He wasn't deceived by the lie. Instead, he cried out, not my will, but yours be done. The author of life let himself be broken, torn, and killed. Not to be consumed by death, but rather to swallow up death into life. Jesus passed through before us. destroying death and freeing us from the fear of it. Now, with our sins forgiven, with death defeated, the lie has been drained of all of its power. Is God really merciful? Does God actually intend good for us? Does God really love us? Well, of this, 
I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights or depths or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Let's pray.